0: Good morning. It's Monday, November the 14th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Just a gentle start to your Monday morning on the show. Coming up on the show today, Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press will talk about the news around the possibility of, at the very least, a masking recommendation in Ontario. Maybe even more, as Dr. Kieran Moore expected to speak later today. Alex Smythe will report live from the Ontario Disability Employment Network's 2022 Rethinking Disability Conference. So Alex, on location in Richmond Hill, Ontario, alongside Delana Delannarole and a couple old AMI friends as well, Matt McGurk and... Ted Cooper and Jim Crisco will close out the show when he describes a newly launched pilot project in Manitoba that aims to close the gap in services for adults with disabilities. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And whew, there are a lot of international conferences going on right now. The Association of Southeast Asian Nations meetings took place over the weekend. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced an over three hundred million dollar investments in the region.
1: It's a growing hub for trade and investment that fosters open markets and creates good, meaningful jobs now and into the future as the Canadian economy grows.
0: The Indo-Pacific is a priority for Canadians. Canada will also be seeking a trade deal over the next five years with the 10-country bloc. We're here this week to make Canada more competitive and to show the
1: world what we have to offer. We're deepening and strengthening our engagement in the
0: region for the long term, and we're focused on creating jobs and opportunities for Canadian businesses. So that was the ASEAN meetings, and Trudeau hopped on a short flight and is in Bali, Indonesia, where he'll be meeting with several heads of state during the G20 summit, which begins today. That includes his first in-person meetings with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Italian Minister Giorgia Meloni. As the summit host, Indonesia has asked leaders to focus on shoring up health systems and boosting food and energy security. US President Joe Biden met with Chinese President Xi Jinping today. So lots of international meetings going on on that front. But don't forget, climate is also in focus when it comes to heads of state and power brokers meeting in Egypt. Before we get to the Egyptian side of the story, there is some new research that suggests that methane emissions have been underestimated. Emily Javesky has more.
2: A retired oil and gas regulator from Texas surveyed facilities along the Alberta-Saskatchewan boundary using an infrared camera this summer. Tim Doty says he saw methane escaping from virtually all the 128 facilities he looked at. Other recent studies have found official estimates of methane, up to 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide, are much too low. The information comes as Ottawa promises to reform methane regulations, including a consistent national way to estimate how much is released. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press.
0: So that's a Canadian climate story. Let's talk about the international negotiations going on at the UN climate talks in Egypt. They've officially approached their halfway point, and negotiators are working to resolve some of the key issues to attain a substantial result. Karen Chamis files this report.
3: U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry was positive about the ongoing negotiations.
0: We are genuinely making really good progress
4: Uh, And I'm excited about what this COP is accomplishing. Kerry
3: was hopeful that a meeting between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping at the G20 meeting in Bali may help to move things along.
4: Waiting to see uh, how things
3: uh, go at the G20. Senior Egyptian negotiator Wal Abdul Magad said despite disagreements on the wording of the cooling target of 1.5 degrees, all countries have a united goal.
5: The reality beyond all of that is that we cannot, as species afford not to accelerate mitigation
0: action.
3: I'm Karen Chamas.
0: There's also quite a bit of Canadian representation going on at the conference. We played some sound from researchers who made their way from Dalhousie University last week. There's also Indigenous youth who travelled from Canada's north to Egypt. They're sharing how they've seen the impacts of climate change on their communities. Carissa Waugh with the Yukon First Nations Climate Action Fellowship says they have had significant issues with fishing.
5: We haven't been able to set up our fish nets because of the decline in salmon numbers. And with that, we are losing our connection to our culture. We are able to set up that net and teach the younger generation how to go and set up the net, how to take the fish out of the net, and how to fillet it and feed the community.
0: Just over 12,000 Chinook salmon crossed the Yukon River this summer, which was the lowest number on record let's get to our daily polls At accessible media is where you find us on twitter at accessible media inc is where you track us down on facebook on friday it was indeed remembrance day so we were asking you how do you mark remembrance day we had a response on twitter from james who writes in i was in the royal canadian sea cadet in the 80s and the cenotaph honor guard twice i do try to attend the service in person to honor the veterans and in those in the service Thank you, James, for sharing that one. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Today's daily poll, we'll be talking about this a little bit with Marco Flalo in the second hour of the show as Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You could say they're approaching, but if you get any kind of newsletters from major retailers in your email, you'll know that they're already talking about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This has already commenced. And I suppose that as we very quickly approach the five weeks till Christmas countdown. And of course, Hanukkah right around the corner as well. It makes me think, have you started your holiday shopping? Yes or no? I am perpetually behind the eight ball. Every year I say I'm going to do a little bit better and I never do. But maybe this is the year. Maybe this will be the year I finally get ahead of the game and get everybody taken care of. Because we have so many people scattered around the city today, Our TV technical producer, Bruce Baclarian, has jumped into Studio One because he's going to offer up some thoughts on this question. Bruce, welcome to the show. Have you started your holiday shopping?
1: Well, 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 Uh, I would like to say that yes. And that's because my wife wanted a really, really expensive present for her birthday, which is in August. And I said to her, well, what about I put, you know, both presents together and, uh, you know. And that, that way I can afford your very fancy present. Wow. Wow. And she said, let's do that. So, yes.
0: <laughs> Br- Bruce, may, this may be p- too personal, and you can say, Dave, I don't want to reveal this. What is this super it's bougie gift? a very
1: fancy food mixer with all these accessories and knickknacks. I never knew this thing would be that expensive, honestly. I was like, well, whatever. I love her, so sure.
0: Well, that could also pay some dividends for you with delicious food. It, fr- funny enough, yesterday she made
1: some delicious cookies. So, <laughs> look
0: at that. See, you're cashing in on those dividends through and through. Indeed. Uh, uh, Bruce, are you an in-person shopper or an online shopper? I know you're someone who likes to support local business. So you're always telling me about some cool stuff that you're tracking down in the neighborhood.
1: For the bigger
0: projects,
1: the bigger, the bigger presents, rather, I do online because I know it's like a big item. But for the smaller ones, the stockings, that, those kind of knickknacks, I go local. 'Cause I think oh there's a there's something there something about um the serendipitous uh, um moment of finding something mm-hmm. at a store They mm-hmm. go, Oh, well look at this. This yeah. would be This would be lovely for that person.
0: Community builder, Bruce Baclarian. Bruce, thank you for this. Thank you for stepping in and offering us an extra voice during the daily polls. We appreciate it. Cheers, Dave. That is Bruce Baclarian, our TV technical producer. Let's go across the glass to the audio control room to catch up with Eliza Rocco. Eliza, I don't know if you've started your shopping yet, but you've already been to a winter fair.
2: I have. I have. So I've kind of started my shopping. I remember November 1st, and I was like, I'm going to (laughs) start. November 1st. This is the I year. <laughs> Maybe next year. But I, I why I say I've kind of started is because I like to make a very long list of names and under those names, potential presents for those people. So I've started that part, which is not the actual shopping, but it's my shopping plan. It's preparation. Yeah. So I think it counts in a re- weird way. But oh, it certainly does. Thank you. Thank you. So that list has been started. It is not finished, but it's been started. Um so I, I am a, I'm a little proud of myself. But uh, still haven't started the actual shopping. So we'll see when I get around to do
0: that. I think I'm offering you affirmation because I'm in a similar boat. I don't make the physical list, but the ideation phase has begun. So it's like, oh, yeah, I've I've started started Christmas shopping because I've started thinking about Christmas shopping.
2: Exactly. It still
0: counts. (laughs) It definitely still (laughs) counts. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Let us know about your holiday shopping habits. And maybe if you want to shout out some uh, local craft makers or people, Businesses in your community that you think deserve a little love, you can do that on social media or you can send us an email feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or give us a phone call 1 509 4545. 1 509 4545. Eliza is also wearing many hats today. Eliza has stepped in to read the national weather updates.
2: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. First up in St. John's, Newfoundland, there's rain with uh, 10 millimeters of rain, in fact, and a high of seven. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers or drizzle this morning and a temperature falling to plus five this afternoon. And in Montreal, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning. The high is plus one, but with a wind chill, it's minus nine this morning. And in Ottawa, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy, 30% chance of flurries this morning, a high of plus one, but with that windchill, it feels like minus 10 this morning. And here in Toronto, it's a mix of sun and cloud, High is plus 4, but again with wind chill, it's minus 4 this morning. And in Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with 60% chance of flurries, a high of 0. But with that wind chill, it feels like negative 12 this morning. In Winnipeg, there's periods of light snow with a high of minus 5 and the windchill near minus 13. In Saskatoon, it's cloudy, periods of snow beginning this morning, a high of minus 4, and a wind chill near minus 12. And in Calgary, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy, clearing late this afternoon, with a high of plus 2, and windchill around minus 8. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's mainly sunny, a high of plus 3, and a wind chill of minus 6 this morning. And in Yellowknife, it's cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries, high of minus 3, and with a windshield near minus 12. Down in Vancouver, it's sunny with a high of 8. And in Victoria, BC, it's a mix of sun and cloud, clearing near noon with a high of 9. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Eliza. Coming up next, masking recommendations are making news in Ontario this morning. Michelle McQuigg will have the latest when we check in with her after a busy weekend of editing news at the Canadian press. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's take a closer look at what's happening around the country with Canadian Press Weekend News editor, Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Michelle.
5: Good morning, Dave.
0: So, Michelle, we've got a couple stories out of Ontario and one out of BC. Let's begin with masking in Ontario. The top doctor Mm -hmm. of the province will be holding a press conference later today. What's expected?
5: Actually, it's even happening as we speak. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so what is expected? We got confirmation, my colleague Liam Casey nailed this down over the weekend, that he, uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, who's the chief medical officer here in Ontario, is expected to recommend that the public start masking up, but he is not actually going to impose a masking mandate. So he's, it's, a, it's a hard recommendation, apparently. We don't have the exact terms of the announcement yet, but the mandate does appear to be off the table. And uh, anytime we tried to dig in a little bit on more of this, we haven't had a chance to to pose those questions to the chief medical officer himself. Uh, but the premier was up yesterday as well, and when faced with that question, he simply diverted to saying well I'm going to follow dr Moore's advice so that advice is is, is as I said unfolding even as we speak
0: yeah the premier uh, said <clears throat> mask when you can get a booster and get a flu shot those are the three things you those are the three things you should do um it's it is interesting Michelle because the masking in terms of mandates in most cases officially came down pretty much everywhere as of a few weeks ago when the federal government said, Airplanes, trains, no masks necessary anymore. And now it feels like just a couple of weeks later with the flu, with the flu virus, the RSV, and of course, COVID still lingering around. It seems like all of a sudden they've got to start uh, pulling back on these these threads a little bit. But again, maybe uh, staying away from the word mandate because we know it's not controversial at all.
5: You're yeah, No kidding. And and yet the, those calls are mounting. Uh, we're, we're seeing that in Ontario. Quebec as well is also seeing uh, more of a renewed push for masking mandates. And the big driver there uh, for Simpsons fan, get your hell and love joy voice going, because it's all about the children. Mm. Um, the there are and a huge influx of of kids coming into pediatric hospitals to the point where Ontario's pediatric system is officially operating over capacity now in terms of those in the ICU, um, pediatric wards. Uh, one very prominent children's hospital in the Ottawa area, CHIO, has had to open a second emergency room. Mm-hmm. Uh, sick kids has had to start ramping down surgeries. That's, of course, one of the bigger children's hospitals in, in the country. Um, And this is really what is driving this masking recommendation, both here and in Quebec, where there's a similar pediatric wave going on right now. So with all of those factors at play, driven largely by the three viruses that you named, Dave, um, there really is mounting pressure on the healthcare system in a way we haven't yet seen through the course of this pandemic. And that's what's driving mounting calls for those masking mandates to return, because some Mm -hmm. people are saying that when left to their own devices, if they have a choice, after mandatory masking for X number of years, they're not going to do it now, and they feel that it's important to uh, to push yeah. that message. Well,
0: yeah. I've had two doozy colds in the last month. Let me tell you, if uh, wearing a mask could have prevented one of those, I would have absolutely worn that thing more often. But I got greedy, uh... I, Michelle. I got greedy one day. I went on public transit and didn't put my mask on, and we saw what happened.
5: Dave, Dave, Dave. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, boys.
5: I'll tell you this, after my recent brush with COVID, I ordered myself a 50-pack of KN95s.
0: Okay, there you go. Yeah, exactly. There's there's still a lot of places out there where wearing that mask is a very, 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 very good idea. Yeah, uh, absolutely. M- Michelle, let's jump over to the economy in Ontario, because masks mm-hmm. aren't the only thing on the agenda in Ontario today. The province will also release its fall economic update. Michelle, even before we get to the update, what did the province announce yesterday around the gas tax?
5: Yeah, that was a slightly unexpected announcement. Uh, For those who don't live in Ontario, the province recently imposed a a, a reduction to the gas and fuel taxes in this province. They cut them by about 5.7 cents a litre for gas, and I believe it's 5.3 for fuel to regulate them both at 9 cents a litre. That was a tax cut that was supposed to only be in place until the end of the year. And then yesterday, Premier Ford came out and announced that it was going to be extended for one more year, so that it will now run until the end of 2023. And he's citing inflation pressures as the the main driver for that Mm. decision.
0: I'm going to come back to the word expectations, but most fall economic statements are not necessarily the most critical document of all time, but considering the Ontario budget – wasn't necessarily a true blue document in the sense that an election was called before <laughs> it was actually passed. Michelle, any shockers expected in today's budget or update?
5: Not necessarily, but there there, there is a bit of push and pull going on here. The The Financial Accountability Office in, in Ontario, which is basically the province's financial watchdog, has kind of called the government out for what it perceives as a lack of transparency on provincial finances. Uh, the government has been talking about Uh, surplus numbers that are are quite different than what we've been seeing so far. Uh, The FAO does seem to think of the provinces in sound financial shape, but it does want some more details on how the government intends to spend a lot of contingency funds. So um, some clarity around the surpluses, how we got there, how they intend to ramp up over the next few years, because they're currently projected to rise quite steeply, in fact, in the the next few years. Uh, That plus a lot of chat talk around the contingency funds. Of course, uh, health care spending is always going to be a big one. These are some of the bigger issues that are going to be watched for in this uh, in this update that's coming down later today.
0: Very good. A busy day in Ontario as it always tends to be on a Monday. <laughs>
5: and there's more. They're going to repeat the, the law that uh, imposed the contract and banned striking for the education workers. Remember that whole story that the process to repeal that law gets underway today as well. So it is a busy one.
0: Oh my goodness. It's going to be uh, yes. Ontario reporters <laughs> are going to be uh, pulling out the hair today. Kind they of sure like are. How reporters in British Columbia have been pulling out their hair the last couple of weeks, trying to wrap their heads around some issues of police jurisdiction and municipal politics and some of the wrangling around that one. Michelle, this one can get a little bit convoluted in understanding local police forces, new forces and old forces and local politicians. So I'll kind of like step aside here and give you a second to lay this out.
5: Sure, and I'll try to do this as in broad strokes as possible, but I really would recommend you look up uh, the story by my colleague Amy Smart over the weekend. She did a great job exploring this issue in some more depth. And her real uh, litmus test for this whole issue was the Surrey, BC, mm-hmm. which is, of course, a, a, a suburb of Vancouver, where a lot of... In Canada, the overview is that a lot of areas outside of major cities are policed by the RCMP. And this is really kind of the central issue here as various cities either wrestle with establishing their own municipal forces, joining forces with other municipalities or maintaining the RCMP. And you have all kinds of competing schools of thought. And it is a real political hot potato. And Amy lays that out from the the recent municipal elections in B.C. Mm -hmm. This was a hot button issue in a number of races. And it did turn out to be a really defining one in a few. Uh, Currently, Vancouver has a mayor who wants to expand the Vancouver police force. So there's no jurisdiction issue there, but it's a real law and order kind of focus. In Surrey, though, where they have broken with the RCMP and taken great pains to establish their own force, they've got almost 300 officers now, they've spent millions of dollars on this. Um, They have now a mayor who wants to scrap all this and return to the RCMP model, and that's really where that battle is playing out in, in in the most vivid form right now, but it is happening elsewhere, and it's quite a complicated issue just because of all the various rules around forces, it's not easy to just up and move from mm-hmm. one force to another mm-hmm. if you don't want to do this, right? The Various forces have different policies in terms of what rank they would hire at, uh, different kinds of trading requirements that might preclude people from transferring forces. It's really quite complicated, and uh, it, it's an interesting issue that Amy has taken a good look at here.
0: Like really Really great piece that Amy wrote, but it's so fascinating because the word jurisdiction, I know that's one that makes people's eyes glaze over whenever they kind of whenever they kind of hear it. Oh, the jurisdiction is going to be boring. It's so <laughs> fascinating that you have municipal politicians advocating for a change that's in the hands technically of the province to then hire the national police force. Right. It's, like that's like so <laughs> bizarre.
5: Talk about a jurisdictional stew. But yeah, absolutely. That, that is that is very much the case. And there are places where where the RCMP is is the favored option. It's really interesting, and there doesn't on that one you'd have to go even deeper into the weeds to understand the you know the reasons behind why certain municipalities favor one force over the other. But it's uh,
1: Mm
5: a much more complicated issue than I think a lot of people realized. And and we are hearing, of course, this is all playing out against the backdrop of a lot of critiques of the RCMP. Not just from BC either. Of course, uh, they've taken a lot of heat out east for their handling of the Nova Scotia shooting Mm -hmm, in 2020. mm -hmm. Um, Lots of other uh, critiques around RCMP culture uh, and the way their staff are treated. Yeah,
0: we, we just talked about that last week or the week before about a report about some transparency in the way they're treating staff.
5: Exactly. So there's uh, the, the RCMP is not without its baggage right now, but it's also not without its supporters and advocates. So it's it's quite an interesting situation. Michelle,
0: thank you for walking us through that one. That's a little bit convoluted. You did a great job.
5: Thank you very much. But go read Amy's story. Go this, read Amy's
0: story. Go, did a better
5: job than me. So. Yeah,
0: <laughs> go read Amy's smart story. It was excellent, excellent, excellent. Michelle, I won't be here on Friday, officially on vacation. So you have a fun time on the oh. news panel with Joita and Alex.
5: Thank you, and you have a
0: great break. Wolf, going to Montreal. So, a uh, break oh, indeed. Uh, that's Michelle McQuigg, the <laughs> weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, Denny Boudreaux will share tips on making your social media posts a little bit more accessible and inclusive. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Laurie Paris with your morning business minute. Ooh, are we buffering on Lori? Buffering on Lori. Buffering. Buffering. Markets
3: on both sides of the border start the trading week in the black. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed up 121 points on Friday at 21.11. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 32 points at 33.747. The S&P 500 Index added 36 points at 3,992, while the NASDAQ Composite soared 209 points at 11.323. Asian shares were mostly down as momentum faded from last week's rally on Wall Street amid varied sentiments about coronavirus restrictions easing in China and global interest rate increases. Analysts say some investors are being cheered by signs inflation is abating in the U.S. earlier than initially thought. Japan's Nikkei plunged 300 points to close at 7,963. South Korea's Kospi slipped 8 points to 2,474. And the Shanghai Composite Index dropped 3 points to 3,083. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 75.45 cents U.S., up from Friday's close of 74.40 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Laurie Paris.
0: Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's revisit the issue of Twitter laying off a huge chunk of their accessibility team. We talked about the business side of it with Kevin Shaw last week. Well, let's explore the accessibility implications and what you can do as a user to make your posts more inclusive. Founder of Inclusive Communication, Denny Boudreau can help us with that. Hey, good morning, Denis. Good morning. So, Danny, let's start with the news. I know it's been about a, a week and there's been some back and forth here and apparently some reports of Twitter saying, no, 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 we didn't mean to fire all of you. But what's your reaction to the news that Twitter laid off their accessibility experience theme?
6: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm devastated, like a lot of people who have been spending a lot of their time on Twitter over the last 15 or so years. Um, Twitter had grown to be one of the more accessible platforms, uh, like a small but mighty team uh, led by Gerald uh, Jared Cohen um, had, had really built a, uh, an accessible platform with a lot of conf- considerations for accessibility. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the new owner axing the entire team, well, axing thousands of people, as you know, but the entire accessibility team sends a pretty negative message as to how, you know that matters to him and you know how the ability of people who need accessibility to also be factored in and considered it, it says quite a bit about that among other things so yeah i mean i, I don't feel particularly great like most people i'm uh, you know n- twitter and i are taking a bit of a break uh, right now like we're rethinking our priorities and uh, and looking for maybe other options that will you know, be more welcoming of
0: everyone. Denis, I know this is a yeah, bit of okay. speculation, and I think you just addressed it a little bit in that answer, but do you believe this is going to have a drastic change on the accessibility on the platform?
6: It absolutely will, for sure. I mean, I mean, you, we, we can expect that the features that are already there are probably not going to be, you know, uh, eliminated. So hopefully, you know, what has been gained will stay. But as technologies evolve, as new considerations come up, because that's always the case with new technologies and, and, new, and new, uh, new, new features, we can expect that things to start getting less accessible over time. Um, there's nothing in what we've heard so far that lets us uh, believe that at some point the energy would go back to paying attention to accessibility as much as it had gone to uh, up until this point. Um, accessibility was never really something that Twitter said, we're going to do this. You had people internally who said, I care about this, I'm going to start doing it uh, in my work, <clears throat> and I'm going to try to you know, influence other people to do that. And that's how a team ultimately came together. It was very much driven by uh, like a grassroots effort within within Twitter. And with you know, half the team, half, half of Twitter basically having been fired, and rumors of people being brought back only because they need they realize that they actually need to be able to make a transition towards a new team it's it's doubtful that will that it will it will go back to being as accessible or, or as devoted to accessible as it was before
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty disheartening. There's there's no doubt doubt about that. And the the conversations that you've seen from people who formed a community on Twitter last in the last week or so. Oof, man, it's it's pretty devastating when you see uh, when you see those kinds of reactions pouring in. But Denny, irrespective of their own staffing, there are plenty of things that we can do as users to make sure our posts are inclusive. You wrote an awesome blog on your website with some tips on this, and we'll get into the specifics in a moment. But why did you put fingertip to keyboard? Motivated you to write it? Well, I mean, it's
6: it's what I talk about every day. So, so you know, talking about inclusion, talking about accessibility in different contexts is what I do most of my spend most of my time on. So it was, it just became a, a another area of interest at some point to say, okay, so I keep talking to my clients, to whoever will want to listen to me, about the importance of being inclusive in the way we communicate. Um, a lot of us do communicate through social media, so there's a lot of really basic things that we can do to make sure that the way that we communicate our message to our audience, whether it's on social or it's in another another format or platform, actually has a better chance to reaching more people and, and meeting their expectations and needs. So that was that was basically the motivation behind it, but also seeing a lot of brands out there, uh, you know, being completely clueless about accessibility and putting information out there in a format that is either completely inaccessible or in some cases, downright, um, you know, offensive to some people because of the words that they use, because of the way that they provide their information, because of the things that they forget to do. Um, so it was about, you know, raising awareness. It was about education um, and, and helping try to help, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that particular uh,
0: initiative move forward with with more awareness. Denis, there were some really great suggestions that I liked, and some of them were just very simple and straightforward. For example, making sure to capitalize each word in a hashtag. I remember the first time somebody explained that to me, I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. It makes it easier to read for a user with site. It makes it easier to read for a screen reader, like, Bing, bing. That's a win-win for everybody involved. It's like such great advice. But you dove a bit Back. deeper here as well. For example, uh, one that you mentioned, and I really need your help with it. What does it mean to turn a visual asset to grayscale?
6: Well, it, it, it's not related to you know someone's use of color and, and the information that could be conveyed through color alone. So I know as someone who's colorblind, for instance, or, or anyone who struggles with color deficiency... Uh, perception or well, like perception with, with colors um, there's a lot of information out there that is conveyed through specific colors I uh, you know red typically means something is, has failed green is something as passed, that sort of thing um, and and when you turn a particular visual asset to grayscale if you run a grayscale filter I mean there there's you know tons of them online that will turn your images or, or software like PowerPoint that will allow you to turn everything to grayscale in in your in your slide you can, or your website even, you can see if the information that you convey through colors still makes sense when the colors are gone. That's basically what that is. So, if you're conveying, a, say, a, you have a a picture of a of a pie chart, and you have four or five different slices in that pie chart of different colors, and you relate these colors to a little legend on the left hand side or right hand side, you know, with the colors, most people are going to be able to to you know correlate things. I probably wouldn't be because I'm colorblind, so I have a hard time doing that. But when you turn everything to grayscale, then even those who don't struggle with color perception realize that, okay, so I've got a bunch of shades of gray here. I've got a bunch of shades of gray there. Which is which? I don't really know anymore. So it's really about being able to identify if the information you convey really only is conveyed through color. And if that's the case, then you need to support it with something else so that, when the color is not a way for someone to understand what's going on, then they have something else to like another fallback so that they can still understand what, uh, what we're,
0: we're conveying through that information. Denis, one of the tips you had in here is one of my ultimate pet peeves in all forms of communication, including social media. So what about some formatting advice? For example, using odd spaces, uh, spaces or tons of emojis. Denis, I can't tell you how many girlfriends in my life have had to tell them no more emojis. <laughs> I need you to convey your emotions and words. That many girlfriends, huh?
6: Yeah, okay. Uh, well, well, I mean, it, it's, it's so simple when, you, when you're when you aware of it, right? Um, so anyone who's using a screen reader, for instance, uh, every one of those little emojis have a particular label assigned to them, meaning that when you run into that emoji, you hear about that label, you hear about that description, so to speak. So if you have, I don't know, a, a, a post... Social media post that has like ants clapping, and you've got like 50 of them because you're so happy for that person that you're replying to. Then someone who is cited will just look at the entire thing and say, "Okay, so there's a bunch of you know applaud emojis there." But if you're using a screen reader, you're going to be reading through all of them one at a time. So applaud emoji, applaud emoji, applaud emoji, applaud emoji, applaud emoji, 50 times. It makes it super painful, uh, you know, annoying to 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 walk to go through. And then it's not just emojis, right? I mean, you see posts out there where people are going to play with the formatting to give a particular look and feel. What, sometimes it's ASCII art where you're using a bunch of different characters and you create a particular visual out of it. Sometimes they're going to be using uh, tabs on, the, uh, on their keyboard to create spacing, to create a visual effect. And you know, visually, again, it makes sense, but when you're going through this with a screen reader, you're basically linearizing the entire thing. So the, the meaning is lost, and all you get is a bunch of gibberish that really makes no sense. So the post is completely lost on someone who does not rely on vision to be able to see what's going on. And, 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 and what I was saying in the post, basically, is that a much smarter way, much more inclusive way to do this would be use all these things the way that you want to, but why wouldn't you turn the entire thing into an image so that everybody gets an image. So visually, it's the same thing. And for someone using a screen reader, then you know the alt text that you can put to that image could becomes a fallback to the very awful experience
0: you would have otherwise. Mm.
6: So that, that's the general idea behind it.
0: Denis, what about managing links? Because one of the great things about social media is, hey, come read this, come watch that, here's a link. And sometimes when you, I mean, you just use the word gibberish. There's so much gibberish when you see a link getting posted.
6: Yeah, well... Again, so it's about it's about awareness. Um, you want the links to be meaningful. And oftentimes links are going to be, you know, they, they make sense within context. Uh, and it's your typical, uh, if you want to know more, more about my podcast, click here, for instance. Or uh, if you want to know more about the services we offer, uh, read for more information. And then, you know, more information is your link or click here is your link. You know, those make sense when you're looking at it in context it makes no sense when you look at them out of their, their, their immediate context. And you know, again, for sighted users, that's not really a concern because you know, the context is typically always there. But for someone using a screen reader again, if you are extracting all the links from the page that you're on to be more efficient as you're navigating through things, these links become meaningless. If I have a link that says click here, it made sense within the context of the paragraph it was in, but outside of that paragraph, it's just a click here link and I'm like, click here. What, what am I clicking on? Where am I going to go? Like, you don't know anything about it. So that's one piece of it. So, you know, making, making links more meaningful means that you're rethinking your copy so that the words that are, the hyperlink itself, the words that are linked make sense on their own. If, If they're extracted from the context, they still make sense. They still give you the purpose of the link and you know what to do with it. And other situations would be things like, you know, uh using using URL shorteners so links that are going to be to be shortened so that you know they're they're shorter but then they lose their meaning again so trying to avoid these things so that when you look at the link if it's an actual link it, like you know and you, you can you can see like HTTps colon slash slash ww blah blah blah. You can see that so that it's easier for people to know where it's going to go because, mm-hmm. well, as long as the links do make sense, of course. If they don't make sense because they're just a bunch of letters, letters and numbers, that's not going to help much either. But shortening the the URLs usually also leads to a bit more confusion because you don't really know what to expect. And the whole idea is to make things meaningful and more predictable
0: by Paying attention to the links themselves. Yeah, clicking on an unpredictable link seems like a prime way to catch a virus or some malware uh, right, somewhere right. along the way. <laughs> I, in this day and age, I don't, I don't particularly recommend it. So, Danny, your blog had seven different recommendations. We only jumped into a couple of specifics there. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're going to encourage folks to to go check the blog out in and of itself. But anything else you want to mention just before we said goodbye?
6: Uh, Well, there's a bunch of other things, of course. Uh, You know, I quickly mentioned something about describing images when we talked about, you know, turning the emojis into into an image and all that good stuff. Uh, So if you are on a platform, social media platform, that offers the ability to uh, add alt text to the visuals that you upload, you should definitely do that. If you are, uh, you know, uploading video content, you know, making sure that it's captioned, like all all the the usual things that we would want to talk about are... Are certainly valuable. I would maybe 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 do a shout out to um, Accessible Social. Um, so the author's name is Alexa Enric, I think. But her, her, her website is accessible.social.com, if I'm not mistaken. And she has this really big uh, resource that has become a bit of a. Be a bit of a reference, really, for social media accessibility. So, if anyone's watching that is responsible for you know accessibility and their for their social media platforms or, or brand in general, it's a really great resource to go and and learn more about accessibility, more about inclusion. So, I would I would actually put the uh, you know the the light on her resource uh, much more than than my little blog post there because it's a lot more exhaustive, I'd say.
0: Denis, you're too humble for your own good, but absolutely, we appreciate <laughs> the curation on that front. Have a great day and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. You as well. Thank you very much. That's Sydney Boudreau, the founder of Inclusive Communication. Coming up after the break, Amy Manti will offer up a review of the Netflix filler, thriller, not filler, thriller, Lou, which stars Alison Janney. But first... We just talked about some of the accessibility issues on Twitter, but what's the economic situation after the ownership changeover? Chuck Severson has that angle in Tech Trends.
7: It's been just over two weeks since Elon Musk formally took control of Twitter, and since then, multiple advertisers have rolled back spending on the platform. Elizabeth Lepato is a senior staff reporter at The Verge. She says it comes amid staff layoffs and policy changes.
2: 89% of Twitter's revenue came from advertising. And multiple advertisers have put uh, pauses on their spending on Twitter because of the sort of new Musk regime.
7: Musk told Twitter staff during an all hands meeting last week that they need to return to the office full time or resign. Yes.
6: People do not return to the office when they
7: are able to return to the office. and I cannot remain at the company. He also said that bankruptcy was, quote, not out of the question. There are probably going to be
2: more advertisers that feel even
8: more leery about spending their money on the website.
7: With Tech Trends, Chuck Severson, ABC News.
0: Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a Monday movie review with Amy and Manti. But just before we bring in Amy for her thoughts on the Netflix thriller Lou, we've got a clip from the movie. In the clip, a mom tucks her daughter in on a stormy night when the lights go out. The mom leaves to restore the power. Meanwhile, an unknown person breaks into the home and the mom finds that her daughter has gone missing. The mother runs to a neighbor who appears with a gun in hand together. The mom and neighbor begin to search outside in the rain. Let's roll the clip.
9: I'm scared. Do you want to sleep with me tonight?
2: I'm just going to go flip the breaker.
1: My
3: daughter. Hold on. Who did? I have to track them. Stay here. Hey, where are you going? To find my child. If you slow me down, I will leave you behind.
0: Ooh, 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 ooh. Let's bring in Amy Amanti for her thoughts on this one. Hey, good morning, Amy.
8: Hey, good morning, Dave. Happy Monday. Happy
0: Monday to you, too. Walk me a bit more through the premise of this film, although I think it's pretty self-evident based on the trailer and the description I read.
8: Yeah, it's pretty self-evident. I think the only thing I would add to this is that our next-door neighbor, Lou, um, is curmudgeon She's all washed up. She's a loner, living in the, on an island in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. And um, uh, so, you know, for the neighbor to go to her for help uh, is probably unorthodox right because we've got a neighbor here who's just not interested in like being around people really
0: okay i like that all right there we go we understand now we're searching for a lost daughter we've got a curmudgeonly neighbor no man is an island so to speak amy (laughs) good thrillers are not like there's a lot of thriller movies that get made a good thriller are difficult to find though what did you make of this one
7: Oh,
8: well that's a difficult question for me because I like thrillers. Um so I pretty much will watch any of them even if they're kind of a wah, wah kind of thriller. Um this one wasn't it wasn't too bad for me. It it's short, which for me was um both good and bad if I you like can imagine. I like that.
0: I like that. I like a short movie.
8: I, I like a short movie too, but I there were moments where I thought that the plot unfolded just a little too fast, mm. that it could have hold, held us in these moments of suspense, instead of it's like, oh, there are all the puzzle pieces. Okay, great. Now I know where this is going, blah, 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 blah. So you know once you get uh, a certain way into the film, everything starts to unravel in a really fast way, and, and a part of me wanted it to stop and just, ooh, we could have nurtured that moment just a little bit more.
0: Let it breathe.
8: Um, yeah, exactly. Let it breathe just a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's something to be said about efficiency, though. Too many too many directors these days are bloating their movies. It's nice oh. to maybe see an overcorrection the other way.
8: It, it I will tell you that, that one of the, the nice things I like about streaming platforms is often the movies are like an hour 30, an hour 40 long, which is really nice and digestible. And I think that some of that takes in, into consideration just our mental brain span these days. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're going to our streaming platforms to decompress as opposed to like <laughs> to try and over um over provide content in our brains It just you know you know what i mean like i just i want to i want to unwind at the end of my day i don't necessarily want to be overly stimulated at
0: the mm. end of my day let's talk about Alison jenny because this is one of mm. the premier actors in hollywood certainly as a character actor way way at the top of the list what was her performance like in this film
8: do you know I, I've been uh, a big fan of Allison Janney's for a long time. Um, she has played central characters, comedic characters, dramatic characters. I even remember b- her back to playing a character in. Um, oh, the movie's gonna escape me. But she she's um, American Beauty. It was American Beauty, um, and she was playing uh, the mom in American Beauty, and she had like wasn't two that a
0: wasn't that a debt bedding.
8: No, no, Annette Bening was in that as well. But Alice and Janney played the mother of the teen boy that lived next door. Oh, yeah. And okay, she had yeah. barely two lines. And it was all about gaze and body language. And to to, to talk about where that character was coming from in those moments. And I, it was the first time, it was a long time ago. Obviously, that movie is over 20 years now. But the first time I was watching an actor that I thought, wow, you don't even really need to use your words to be able to convey what's going on in this moment for this character. So Alice and Jenny takes us on a bit of a roller coaster turn um, in this particular thing. I did think that it tended to land a little bit more on the curmudgeony um, because, you know, we liked characters that are nuanced. And as the plot unfolds and as we learn to uh, figure out what the relationship is between all these many characters, I did think that there were some moments where we could have been... We were, could have been uplifted a little bit by some humanity in this character hmm. instead of it all being like... Um, you're a burden I'm chasing. You know, I'm looking for your child, but you're a burden kind of
0: attitude. What about Jenny's counterpart on screen, uh, Jernice Smollett?
8: Yeah, again, I'm um, not, not an actor I've seen in a ton of things, um, but this is also the beauty of something like a streaming service where you get to be exposed to more actors. And I think that that for this particular actor, they will grow in popularity. They were, um, they're were they a mixed race actor and uh, really um Able to captivate the screen in a very nice way, counterbalances Janny to a certain extent because we see more of a emotional roller coaster between this character of the mom than we do between the character of Janny. And I don't want to give it away. Mm-hmm. I won't mm-hmm. give it away. But you but you as you start as the plot starts to unfold, you'll start to see the character change in the mom, but not the neighbor. And for me, I was like, oh, I need that the neighbor to sort of be a little bit more on the on the side of the mom.
0: What about some other elements of this movie that stood out to you?
8: Uh, I think cinemagraphically, that's so funny to say for a blind person to say cinemagraphically, it
0: looks <laughs> yeah. beautiful. After, after we talked uh, about aesthetics last week in the Mila Kunis movie, today we're talking about cinematography. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Blind people reviewing movies through and through.
8: It's, I, I mean, uh, like from an uh, even just if you look at it from an audio cinematography perspective, right? This is it's a dark, stormy night, and boy, did I feel like I was like... <laughs> Like hunting in my own backyard and the trails behind my own house um, for this missing child. So that sort of immersive environment felt really, really interesting to me. Of course, I did a little bit of research, as I always do. And it turns out that this was filmed in Vancouver. No surprise there. Um, (laughs) Anytime there's a dark, rainy forest in a movie, it always seems to be filmed in Vancouver. Um, So, yeah, from an aesthetic perspective um that was really interesting the the sound that they used for things you can imagine this right you're hunting on trails you're hearing the wind whether it's uh, the wind and the rain whether it's falling on your own sort of hood and hat you know that like that tinkling town sound that the rain makes or if you slip in the mud the sound that that makes i found the the sound to be really evocative for me Mm.
0: I love that. I love it when directors are still spending time working on sound. That was one of the early shortcomings of a lot of the streamers' production. I found the sound really yes. stunk, and it seems like that's come around a little bit, which I really appreciate. Amy, any other production facts that, that stood out to you?
8: Yeah, I mean, I always find this interesting when I look at which actors are getting which credits, because obviously they're getting a credit as a, as a performer. Um, you expect that. But oftentimes you may notice that actors get credits for things like an executive producer role. Um, and, uh, way, way, way back in my early days of working in the film industry, I always thought to myself, why would they be actor and executive producer? And what's the difference between executive producer and producer? And sort of, it was all summed up for me in, 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 in one simple package, which is, well, sometimes movies don't have enough money. And so they give an actor an executive directors, a producers credit, um, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of up that, up that salary a little bit for the film. So both, uh, both are, are leading actors in this particular role, uh, did receive executive producer credits. I'm sure that there is a couple of other things that an executive producer does on top of that. But uh, for me, every time I see that, I think, okay, so it tells me what the budget is of a film like this and that you've got, re- you know, for example, Janny's a, a really high earning actor mm-hmm. and would probably need a little bit more of a, a salary incentive to do a piece like this
0: that's what happened with Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side she took an EP yeah. credit instead of uh, her full freight and got points on the movie and it's been the most profitable movie she's ever made as yep. an actor uh, for who's been in the biz for 30 years now and has been in some real bangers of movies and Blind Side her uh, biggest financial hit uh, Amy what about the audio description how was it
8: yeah, uh, the audio description adds to the suspense. Obviously, in any suspense thriller, I'm sure you're used to this, Dave, where there are lots of these moments of silence where things are happening and you don't quite know why they're happening. Um, and I thought just there were these moments where there could have been... I talk about this a lot in terms of my description because um, the community is sort of balancing now on this line between objective and subjective when when the describer can be subjective. Um, and how we sort of take that framework and use it as a guideline, as opposed to the principle of description. But there, so there's a moment in in this film where the relationship between Janie and the person that uh, Lou, so Lou, the character Lou, and the person who's kidnapped this small child becomes relevant to the audience. But it sort of becomes relative and hints in body language first. And uh, and while we are told the body language, we can't relate that to anything, whereas sighted folks actually can relate what what, you know, how Lou is uh, looking at this character, for example, in a different way. So we're getting the, 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 the standard, you know, they move their head, they whatever. And uh, and it doesn't give us a glimpse into that relationship. That little bit of foreshadowing, which I deeply missed because then when the relationship was revealed, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's way too fast. It's way too fast. I'm not Mm, ready for that. mm. But there had been this foreshadowing of it through body language, uh, as I was told later. Um, And that I felt kind of inequitable in that way.
0: Amy, less than a minute out of 10. How do you rate the movie?
8: I gave it a seven and a half out of 10 um it's uh, it's worth a, a watch on an evening and make sure it's raining outside your house when you watch it it adds to the atmosphere um but again it's sort of a one and done kind of watch and and, and you're good to go
0: yeah i went to go see the uh, banshees of anishnirin over the weekend uh, and the new martin mcdonough movie it um was really upsetting and made me really sad and i don't think i'll watch it again but the guy makes deeply original movies so i'll give yeah. him credit for that i suppose
8: I hear you. We always look at these, each one of these movies is a piece of art on its own, right? So whether you're looking at a abstract painting or whatnot, you kind of have to interpret it the way you will.
0: Yeah, and just go home and be very upset afterwards. Amy, thank yeah. you for this.
8: You're welcome, Dave.
0: <laughs> That's Amy Manti with a film review of Lou, which you can find streaming on Netflix. And the movie is rated for a pirate. It's rated R. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's the second hour of the Monday, November 14th, 2022 edition of the program. And coming up in the second hour of the show, Alex Smythe reports live from the Ontario Disability Employment Network's 2022 Rethinking Disability Conference in Richmond Hill. And Jim Crisco will describe a newly launched pilot program in Manitoba that aims to close the gap in services for adults with Disabilities. We'll also hear from Marka Flalo and Brock Richardson. But before we get to any of that, I have the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, where voting is underway by members of the BC Liberal Party on a party name change, the new name under consideration, BC United. Party voters membered voted strongly in favor of considering a name change last June at their convention, and leader Kevin Falcon pledged to make a name change. During his leadership campaign, results are expected from that vote on Wednesday. So BC United instead of the BC Liberal Party. Over to the prairies, where Regina's fire department has been combing through the splintered remains of a multi-unit home destroyed in an explosion. Deputy Fire Chief Gord Hewitt believes everyone who lived in the home is accounted for, but that heavy equipment has been brought in to access the structure. The cause of the blast is undetermined. Over to Ontario, a coroner's inquest begins today into the 2013 death of Sammy Yatim in Toronto. The 18-year-old was shot and killed by former Toronto police officer James Forcillo while the teen was in the middle of a mental health crisis on an empty streetcar. Forcillo was convicted of attempted murder in 2016 and was later convicted of perjury. The inquest will hear from 11 witnesses over 10 days. And then over to Atlantic Canada. A weekend storm has destroyed another PEI landmark. The sea arch at Mackenzie's Brook in PEI National Park near Cavendish collapsed Sunday as it was thrashed by strong winds and heavy rain, the remnants of Hurricane Nicole. The island's north shore did suffer extensive damage during Hurricane Fiona, and parts of the national park remain closed to the public. So Nicole didn't necessarily bring the same abject horror as Fiona did, certainly there is some damage in the region and we hope that everybody in that neck of the woods is well today let's bring in brock richardson it's time for a sports chats boy Brock from Saturday morning till Sunday night it was football 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 so let's begin with the NFL roundup and people might be getting a little bit ticked at us gosh every week they're talking about the Buffalo Bills can we please get a reprieve no no you cannot because the Bills and Vikings had the game of the Uh year yesterday with the Vikings winning 33 30 in overtime
10: Yes, they did, and it was a good, and don't worry, I'm going to comment on the Vikings as well, because they are, well, let's start there, they are the comeback kids, they uh, have done this a time or two this season, they uh, lead the league in uh, comebacks this season, it's been pretty crazy to watch, Um, but Buffalo really shot themselves in the foot, Um, there was an outstanding catch made by Minnesota, of course, which is all over the highlights where the uh, wide receiver was like contorted and Justin Jefferson,
0: Justin Jefferson. That was very good news for the Hallax, my fantasy team.
10: Yes. And so that was a wonderful, wonderful catch uh, by Jefferson. And I didn't think it was going to be made, but it was. And then the bills made an amazing goal line stand towards the end of the game. And then they screwed up a quarterback sneak. And literally all that has to happen with a quarterback sneak is hold on to the ball and run with it. The uh, snap did not go off very well. And then we got a touchdown from the Minnesota Vikings, which puts them up by three with like 30, just a little over 40 seconds left, I believe it was. Josh Allen does Josh Allen things, goes down the field and gets the field goal. And then in overtime, um, conveniently throws an interception. So uh, the Buffalo Bills are in a position now where they kind of held their own uh, destiny, if you will, if they took care of business after they beat Kansas City. And now they've fallen with a bunch of teams at the three-loss mark. And now you're going to have to do the rest of your work and hope that others uh, lose in order to get the top spot. It's going to be a tough road to run now if you're Buffalo to get that top spot, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it may be time to wave bye-bye to the bye week in the first week of the playoffs. It looks like Buffalo may end up having to uh, play a home game. But even that's becoming to started to fall into question as after next week, if everything goes properly, the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins will all be tied at 7-3 and three in the AFC East. So it's not even a guarantee at this point that the Bills may get a home game, which has to be a little bit concerning to you, Brock, because we know home field advantage is one of the things that Buffalo can hang their head on because it's like minus 25. Even three feet of snow during playoff games in Buffalo.
10: Yeah, it is. And the thing that also I was going to hang my hat on with winning that uh, Kansas City game earlier this year was I thought they had the advantage over Kansas City in the home game in the AFC Championship. Not that I was, you know, putting the uh, card before the horse necessarily, but I really thought that that would be the uh, toughest game. I did recognize that Minnesota was going to be a tough game, but I thought when you were up 21 uh, 10 at one point mm-hmm, you were going to be mm-hmm. able to to do this and one of the stats dave that i want to throw out there for buffalo is that josh allen is now two and eight in one score games going back to last season yikes what if anything does that mean to you when you look at josh allen
0: well we talked about this last week brock it seems like in a lot of big moments when he's trailing late there are a lot of mistakes that he makes. The interception that he threw in overtime yesterday was awful. The interception he threw earlier in the fourth quarter was awful. Fumbling the snap in his own end zone when all he had to do was push forward to gain one yard and run out the clock was awful. There was a lot of stuff yesterday that looked like that that form of Josh Allen from a couple of years ago that was a very mistake-ridden quarterback. The talent outweighs almost all those mistakes, but if he's not gonna throw four or five touchdowns in a game, you can't have three turnovers. That's not how that works.
10: No, no you can't. And it's 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 sad to see as a as a Bills fan and, and the end is definitely not written for a no, 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 it's every, too early. It's too early. Everyone keeps saying oh there's they're Super Bowl contenders. I believe they are but man, when you can't even execute a quarterback sneak On a team that you know has a tendency this season, especially to come back, uh, you got to. T- tidy that up just Let, slightly.
0: Let's talk about Minnesota, Brock, because they are 7-1. and one. They've not won a single of their games by more than 10 points. They're playing in tight games every week, but they are 7-1. and one, The only loss to Philadelphia, who remains undefeated at the, at the top of the conference. What do we make of Minnesota here? Because I would still tell you I'm not a full-blown true believer, but the offense can score. The defense makes plays when they have to. The kicker misses every extra points in field goal known to mankind kind i think minnesota might be bad
10: but they might also be really good you know what they're really good at they're really good at at, at 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 comebacks and obviously you know when you at the end of the game you look at the score and you go well who won and everyone's looking going minnesota won again minnesota won again minnesota won again in games that they had no business winning and i'm yeah. not like in many of the games this year but you know what they they put on their hard hats and i hate to get all cliche on you here they put on your hard hats and they go to work and that's what they do they they know how to how to compete all the way through the game some teams when you see teams play in in football games you kind of see them start to like coast a bit when they have the lead and and they know how to run the clock out and and minnesota is that team that says okay we've got them right where we want them and no i'm not a believer in them either But I keep looking at their schedule – or not their schedule, their record and going, yeah, but boss, they're 7-1. And And I'm like, yeah, I I know that. I I see the record. I just don't believe in it. But at some point, Dave, I'm going to have to believe in it to be honest with you uh
0: just just again as a, as a point of reference here again seven and one They're the second best eight and one now second best record in the league yeah. their point differential is only 35 if you look at other teams in that in that standings range we're talking about plus 90 plus 64 uh plus 99 for the buffalo bills and then you've got minnesota there averaging averaging wins at less than five points a win and here they are eight and one and uh Still in contention for that bye week in the NFC. It's very, very impressive stuff. Brock, let's talk about the afternoon game, the late afternoon game between Green Bay and Dallas. And I think we've spoken about Green Bay pretty extensively. They pull up the overtime win, 31-28 over Dallas, after tying the game late in the fourth quarter. Brock, this game says less to me about Green Bay and way more to me about Dallas. This team, they're good. I don't think they're prime time.
10: no. Yeah, they're not, and and Dallas is an interesting team. I have a couple of friends who are, are a big Dallas team, but again, what happened to them yesterday? I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been terrible this year, and he gets out to got a win. Dallas should have been able to, to win that game, and they didn't. They let them come back and win the game, and I just, I don't know. If you're Dallas, you're, you're looking at that going, how did we not win? how, how do we not do this and mm-hmm. da- Dallas is such an interesting team to me where it's like they're there but they're not kind of that that organization and and they get all the you know fancy Thanksgiving games because they are the cowboys but i I don't know what to make of a team like that they're they they're there but they're not and that's the only thing I can come up with other than that I'm like I don't know I don't know what to say about Dallas. Similar to what we just said about
0: Josh Allen, their quarterback, Dak Prescott, threw a couple of really bad end zone interceptions. So when the team was in scoring range, he he turned the ball over. Those couple of field goals they could have kicked instead of making bad interceptions would have changed the complexion of that game entirely. Green Bay's defense kept them in the game by turning the ball over a couple times when it looked like Dallas was going to pull away early. This Dallas team, there's still some little belief there deep inside me that thinks they could be good. But, yeah, I'm thinking they're just not primetime. That's just the way it is. Let's go to the reverse of primetime, Brock. Early in the morning, 9.30 a.m., we had a game in Munich between Tampa and Seattle. We've talked way too much about Tampa, but Tampa does go out and beat Seattle and Munich. My takeaway from the game is they serve really big
10: beers at the stadium in Munich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do, and they show them on TV so that we can all look and go, "Wow, this is that's a big beer." And I caught myself yesterday, Dave, going, "Isn't it like nine thirty in the?" Oh, wait, they're in Munich, right? Yes, that's right. The time change, but <laughs> my my goodness, yeah, they were some uh, they were some big beers, and it, I mean, I liked the optics of, of the game. I liked the way it looked. I liked all that, but yeah. It, we we've talked about Tampa Bay ad nauseum, and you know, uh, what can you say? That's a game they should win. They did win, and good for them for doing it in Germany. I yeah, guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really neat. We had we've had all these London games. We had our first Munich game. We have a game in Mexico City next week. So lots of great international games going on here for the NFL. Fun where, to see. Where
10: would you put a Where would you put an international
0: game that you haven't seen yet if you could? One Ooh, okay, I think we'd have to look further into Europe. The time zone situation in Australia might be a little bit wacky, but I do think Australia would be a pretty prime spot to do a game like that.
10: Can I can I also throw out possibly somewhere like China? Yeah. As oh, I in, money. Yeah. Oh baby. Yeah. Yeah. That I, would be my But again, time change would be a bit of a an odd one because they're 12 hours ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and international relations are a little, little get a little dicey, get a little dicey over there in terms of us sending yeah. our pro sports leagues up to China. Just ask the NBA about that one. Uh, Brock, let's move over to a different kind of football, the CFL playoffs. The Eastern and Western semifinal are in the books. The Grey Cup is set. The Toronto Argonauts beat the Montreal Alouettes. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers beat the BC Lions. Your takeaway from some CFL football yesterday in the afternoon.
10: I think if we're looking at the uh, Western final, we've got to look at uh, Winnipeg and the health of their quarterback, Zach Kalaros, headed into the Grey Cup. I, I they, We saw him getting his ankle taped up yesterday on the sidelines. He did come back and play, but a lot of the analysts, myself included, are like, yeah, but the, the uh, Grey Cup is only a week away. There's not that week in the middle like we have here. Um, I, I think, too, if we're looking at BC, I think the storyline changes, Dave, if we don't have an injury to Nathan Rourke as long as we did. I'm not saying they beat uh, Winnipeg necessarily, but I do think he looks significantly better if he had more reps against a team like that. This year, I think he kind of flew in there by by night and just too little, too late sort of situation if you are Nathan Rourke. And uh, yeah, as for the Toronto Argonauts, I think they are massive massive underdogs. I think we are looking at a team who did what they had to do in the East. The West is no comparison as we've chatted about on this program. I would be absolutely surprised if we're talking about the Toronto Argonauts uh, winning the Grey Cup, but I've been surprised before. Mm -hmm. And hey, at the end of it all, they are the top of the East. You can only play the teams that are in front of you. We'll see what happens, but I'm not a big believer in McLeod, Bethel, Thompson, never really have been. To me, I look at this and I say, well, he played the division in front of him and has done what he had to do, but we'll see when push comes to shove at the Great cup. The one thing Toronto did yesterday is they moved the ball downfield
0: with big chunk plays. If you can do that this week in Regina, it's going to change the whole operation of that game. But uh the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will play slightly better defense than the Montreal Alouettes. There's no doubt. Yeah, about and they're that.
10: not and they're not going to allow them to do that. They're not going to allow them to go down the field because they know exactly what you just said. They're going to play against everything they have to. to To avoid that. Yeah.
0: Brock, thank you for this. Always fun catching up. Have a great day. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight. Enjoy some hockey, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Will do. That's Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. We have a special guest at the AMI Weather Desk today. It's Eliza Rocco.
2: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. First up, in Corner Brook, Newfoundland, there is snow changing to ice pellets or freezing rain this morning, then to rain this afternoon. Snow and ice pellet amount is 2 to 4 centimeters. Rainfall amount is 2 to 4 centimeters, 2 to 4 millimeters. There is also a high of 3 and a wind chill of minus 3 this morning. And in Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly cloudy with 60% chance of showers, temperature falling to plus 4 this afternoon, with a strong wind warning in effect. In St. John's, it's mainly cloudy, 60% chance of showers this morning, and a temperature falling to plus 2 this afternoon. In Quebec City, it's a mix of sun and cloud. High is zero, but with the windshield, it's minus nine this morning. Here in Toronto, Ontario, there's a mix of sun and cloud with a high of plus four, but there is also a windshield making it minus four this morning. I
0: wore my jacket to work. That's that's how you know it's actually winter, (laughs) that I wasn't just wearing a hoodie on my way in.
2: The winter has finally come here. In Sault Ste. Marie, it's mainly cloudy, with wind up to 15 kilometers an hour. The high is zero, but with a wind chill, it's minus six. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's periods of light snow with a high of minus five, but the wind chill makes it minus 16 this morning and minus 10 this afternoon. In Regina, Saskatchewan, there's periods of light snow with a high of minus nine. Um, with another wind chill near minus 16. And in Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and cloud, 60% chance of flurries this morning, a high of plus one, but with that wind chill, it's minus 11 this afternoon. And in Red Deer, Alberta, there's a mix of sun and cloud, a high of plus two, but with that wind chill, it's minus 11 this afternoon. In Whitehorse, Yukon, there's a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 6 degrees. And in Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy, clearing near noon with a high of minus 2 and a wind chill of minus 6 this morning and a minus 11 this afternoon. And down in Vancouver, BC, it's sunny with a high of 8 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Eliza. Coming up after the break, Marka Flalo will stop by. We'll talk about some of the trends emerging around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You know, how we're already getting the deals, emails sent to us now. Ten days before Black Friday even begins. Two weeks before Black Monday. Well, Cyber Monday. So we'll talk about that with Marka Flalo. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's talk about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yes, there's still a little ways away, but... A cursory check of your email box will tell you that retailers already want them on your radar. So let's play their game as we talk about that with Mark Aflalo of Double Tap TV. Hey, good morning, Mark. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I always like talking about a bit of retail therapy every now and then we indulge over here. Uh, Mark, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, these are American concepts. Why do you think they finally seeped their way into the Canadian consumer consciousness?
11: Oh, we're just greedy. I mean, we didn't have enough with... uh with our, our boxing day, which they look at us in the States and say, what is that strange yeah. <laughs> holiday in which you start line up for stuff? Oh, it's just like our Black Friday. Honestly, why, why, you know, would, y'all, inter- why would y'all shop after the holidays? I know that's strange, isn't it? Um, it's, you know, Black Friday uh, and Cyber Monday, really, because of the internet, have become a worldwide phenomenon. This is way more than just the U.S. Yes, the deals in the States cross-border are absolutely insane in some cases, but it's trickled out pretty much everywhere else in the world. And, and you know, us being the closest neighbor to the U.S., we definitely hop on board this bandwagon. And I think in the last two years, too, if you look at just the advent of shopping from home, the the growth of the online portion of this kind of Cyber Monday and Black Friday kind of blend into each other. Just another excuse for people to keep those sales going on just a little bit longer so you can yeah. grab on what you think is a giant savings.
0: I like how you use that expression. Think is a giant savings. Yeah. In Canada, is the notion of Black Friday or Cyber Monday more of just a branding exercise? Because we don't see stampedes for $30 TVs.
11: I think it's because we're just way calmer and more collected of a people that we just don't stampede. I I mean, that being said, I've heard some pretty bad Black Friday, uh, sorry, uh, Boxing Day stories. But but here's the thing, you know, there are the retailers that will mark things up before the holidays so that when they mark them down, it looks like much larger savings. But the brands themselves have got on board. They use this as an opportunity to clear house before the announcements at CES, before the models of the next year start coming in. They look at what's still on the shelves and what and literally how far can they mark things down to get them off the shelves and out the doors. And in some cases, there are brands that literally are giving incentives to stores to mark things down 50, 60, even 70 percent at times just to get it off the shelves because it knows it's going to bring more into the inventory. So at the end of the day, this is a combination of really good branding and an opportunity for some brands to really kind of take advantage of it and say, okay, let's clear house here.
0: As mentioned, a small check of the promotions portion of my Gmail account is just loaded with the expression Black Friday and Cyber Monday already popping up promo codes, etc. Is it worth waiting these next 10 days or two weeks till the actual days themselves? Or is there actually an opportunity to be found right now?
11: there's opportunities definitely right now however when you're a 2 weeks out can you hold can you hold off just 2 weeks just to make sure like I, there there's so many things that will pop up last second you know and we're talking about I mean, across the board. This goes from makeup to pharmacy to televisions to electronics. That you know, if you can hold on for 10 days, you can do it. I know you can do it. I'm talking to my wife. You can hold <laughs> off for 10 days. Um, you may just be able to find that thing for maybe 10, 15, 20 dollars cheaper, which in some cases, especially when you're shopping for holidays, is a big savings across the board. You know, I have friends who have families with, you know, six children. I mean, God bless them for having families with six children. But I mean, every penny saved is a gift for somebody else. So it is worth it to hang off and see what's going on. That being said, it's hard because marketing wise, they really kind of tug at your emotions and your purse strings by saying, oh, this is our last opportunity, even though, you know, you know, two days later, it's going to be your your second last opportunity, Mm. then your third last opportunity. Right. I mean, retail retail really has come to a point now where You can go try to buy something, not check out, come back an hour later, and know you're going to get a coupon of some kind.
7: Mm -hmm. Like, it's just going to happen. This is
11: now common practice. So when it comes to sales like this that do happen once a year, it's worthwhile hanging off, especially if you've got that specific item on your list, and it's not going to disappear entirely, and you're going to kick yourself for it. But definitely, I would say wait.
0: Yeah, it's, it's wild even the web browsers now are like, would you like us to please search for coupons before you check out next thing you know? They're not of course, like I mean, there's companies that have made it's their living wild. off that. I mean, yeah. so
11: Honey.com, yeah, you know, they have browser plugins that just do that. So, yeah, definitely.
0: Although, Mark, there are consequences to waiting. I saw this dope Montreal Expos cap online last Monday. I waited and then it was all sold out by Wednesday. So, you know, sometimes you got to sometimes you got to pounce. Sometimes when you well, see yeah. something you like, you got to get it.
11: Well, yeah, because then it's going to add up on eBay for three times the price. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't really work in your favor, Dave. No, no. (laughs) So
0: sometimes you got to pounce. Sometimes you can't wait. Mark, what about uh, you mentioned that there's broad-based savings across multiple sectors. Are there any particular categories that you suggest people are keeping a keen eye towards?
11: There's two in particular, and that is TVs. It's always TVs. And the reason I say televisions is because... There's always a one-year cycle. They always upgrade. There's CES around the corner. There are going to be new announcements. There are going to be models that are coming out, and they want to get them off the shelves. That being said, there's also a giant profit margin on televisions. So what you see in store is probably you know 20 times what they actually cost to, to, to manufacture. So there's lots and lots of savings when it comes to actual televisions and computers. Like laptops uh, across the board are one of those categories that there are incredible, incredible savings because... Of the incredible profit margin and because of the cycle. <laughs> it's all about that cycle.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. I've got a laptop that literally is gathering dust on my bookshelf at home sitting next to my desktop. Because when I'm at home, I like using my desktop, bigger screen, more comfortable, blah, 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 you don't need the full. You don't need the full justification. But it's so funny because every time one of these retailers flashes me a cheap laptop, I'm like, maybe I do mm. want a new laptop for $300. And it's like, no, Dave, you don't. You don't use the one you currently have.
11: We are such um habitual and um what's the word? Uh it, it let's just say it's very easy to influence us. Yeah, <laughs> we human beings are not very complex characters. Okay. Oh it's so shiny. You throw something like that in front of our faces and we are like salivate, salivate,
0: I mean, salivate. I, I, I could use that laptop. <laughs> I could find a way. Uh Mark, thank you for this. We always appreciate your insights. My pleasure, Dave. That's Mark Flalo. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays on AMI TV. Tuesdays at eight PM Eastern Time on AMI TV. Coming up after the break, we're going live on location. Alex Smythe will report from the Odin twenty twenty-two rethinking disability conference in Richmond Hill. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The Ontario Disability Employment Network is going to be hosting a conference over the next three days in the Toronto area. Alex Smythe is live at the Sheridan Parkway for the 2022 Rethinking Disability Conference. Hey, good morning, Alex. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? Nice. I'm doing well. Nice to chat with somebody on location today. Alex, what's going on with the event?
7: Uh, yeah, so we've just uh, started the event, as you say. It's a three-day conference, so today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Uh, they just wrapped up the keynote speaker from Joe Roberts, who is an inspirational speaker, and he's also the co-founder of the Push for Change uh, Foundation. And so they, we're just kind of kicked off the conference. We have a lot more uh, speakers, a lot more, uh, interactions and interviews that we're going to be able to do over, uh, today, tomorrow, the next few days that we get to share with the folks at home.
0: Yeah. We're going to have you on location, uh, talking to a few of the folks out there and we'll be sharing some of those interviews on the show. I know that one of the things when you're in our shoes at these kinds of events is we don't oftentimes to get to take in some of these, uh, speeches or keynotes. Did you have a chance to take in that keynote this morning?
7: I I did and it was quite moving, quite inspiring. He shared a very personal story of his past, you know, dealing with homelessness, growing up, having opportunity to correct his life and and make positive changes out of it and wanting to share that with with other folks who may be going through a similar situation is really quite moving so I was really happy that it was I had the chance to take that in and hopefully you know there's a few opportunities throughout the day I can squeeze in a couple more uh speeches and and uh talks in between interviews
0: yeah I know you're going to be speaking to about four different people today but who are some of the guest speakers that you're keeping an eye on maybe some of the sessions you want to jump into
7: yeah, so there's a bunch of different things going on. Like there was one that's talking about mental health and burnout, which I think it's really key yeah, given yeah. everything that's gone on in the last few years. Another one is talking about just the different financial assistance programs uh, from Revenue Canada that just talked about how you can get funding. It's something we've always talked about on our show. And, you know, there's even ones that I am somewhat familiar with. I'm going to be speaking to a uh, representative from Project SEARCH, but I, I think it's such a great program that I, I want to check out that, that, uh, that talk as well.
0: Alex, I have two questions about what it's like on the ground. The first one, I want you to tell me a little bit about the vibe from people. How are are people seeming here a couple hours into uh, getting on the ground? How are they feeling? Is there an energy? Is it palpable on the ground?
7: Oh, absolutely, and you can tell, you know, this is the first time in in over three years that they've been able to be in person. These events are always really great because you're connecting with so many different organizations, different groups that do really important work and are really striving to improve the the community that they serve. So it's always great to see it, and you can see the the energy. There's there's kind of a an excitement in the air, uh, so to speak. So it's it's really great to see, and I'm glad that you know. These events allow people to kind of mingle, get together. Like, that's what's going on right now. It's a, a mingling session. I'm, I'm here talking to you, but I'm going to go and mingle after we're, we're done here <laughs> on this. Set.
0: Yeah, we're definitely taking you away here from some of the stuff that's going on. Alex, you are no stranger to events like this in your career for AMI. You've probably covered a couple dozen conferences and events like this. What does it feel for you to be back on the ground, though? I know you've done a little bit of onset stuff during the course of the pandemic, but it feels like maybe this one's one of your first real cracks back into it.
7: Yeah, well, it's certainly my first with uh, being on now with Dave Brown. It's exciting. I I love it. You know, there's something different about being in the field. I'm sure, as you know, Dave, it's it's better than just calling someone up over Skype or Zoom or whatnot and having an, a conversation. To be able to sit down with them, talk face to face, interact in person, there, there's a different vibe, a different energy, even. In the course of an interview, and and setting up an interview is different. So I'm excited to be here. I have a great team I'm working with today. Our, our producer Andrika is on location with me. Plus, we got some some old AMI uh, uh, favorites here that are, are along for the ride today. So it's just uh, an exciting time to be here.
0: Yeah, big shout outs to Matt McGurk and uh, Ted Cooper out on the ground with you guys, getting the old Toronto bureau back together for uh, for this one. It's super great. Yeah, Alex, I for every time. AMI could send me to one of these things. I used to look forward to it, especially the conferences for the reason I alluded to earlier, the opportunity to maybe jump into a couple of sessions here and there to be part, to be a participant as much as you are an interviewer or an observer. I find these are the kinds of conferences that really present an opportunity to actually make us better at our jobs because you get to hear from experts on the ground who study in the fields. So we, can objectively say oh employment for persons with disabilities is important well how do we get there these are the folks who hold the keys to those to those answers and those those questions
7: absolutely and what i hope to to take out of this event yes i'm i'm talking to a few people here today but you mentioned, there's a room full of experts here. So I'm sure there's going to be other stories, other people, other experts that maybe we we can bring on to the show down the road, maybe a couple weeks from now, maybe a month from now, because their skill set, their expertise is just as vital and just as worthy as being shared with our community.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Well, Alex, you're on the ground there for the rest of the day. Good luck with these interviews, and then you're going to be in studio with me the rest of the week, uh, sharing a couple highlights. So we will uh, bid you adieu for now. Have a great day. Have fun at the conference, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good, Dave. Take care. That's Alex Smythe. He's on the ground at the Ontario Disability Network's 2022 Rethinking Disability Conference, which runs from today, November 14th, to the 16th at the Sheridan Parkway in Richmond Hill, Ontario. You can learn more about ODIN by visiting O-D-E-N at work.com. So it's the ODIN Network, but the O-E-D is what you spell in the network. So O E D network.com. O E D network De- <laughs> Of course I'm getting this all wrong as I'm trying to read things out. Thank you, Eliza, for getting in my ears. Let's do this properly. O-D-E-N at work.com. So O D E network.com. Odin network. Odin network. O D E network. Dot com. I almost got that right. Let's bring in Ramya within to find out what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Dave. I'm not very good at reading. That's how that's how today's going so far.
9: Mm, we all have our days.
0: <laughs> we all have our days for sure. Odenetwork.com. Uh, Ramya, how was the weekend?
9: Weekend was great. Uh, we had the Ontario Disability Specialist. Uh, Sorry, O-B-S-A, Ontario Blind Sports Association. we're all having trouble yeah. with
0: acronyms this morning.
9: Trust, exactly. But that was held Saturday at the Best Western Hotel in Brantford, Ontario. It was an amazing turnout. We'll talk more about it on uh, Kelly and Company as well. Uh, lots of representation from across Ontario, athletes, coaches, uh, AMI, CNIB, lots of great organizations uh, doing their part in support. And it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, great inductions and ceremonies going mm-hmm. on here. Over the course of the next few weeks, whether it was the OBSA or we have a Brock Richardson who's going to be a co-hosting, who's going to be emceeing an events coming up here down the road, yeah. we've also got uh, some pretty fun opportunities. Uh, the, the Commonwealth Games Canada is going to be doing their Hall of Fame induction ceremonies earlier uh, in the next couple of weeks. I know this because I did some voiceover work for them <laughs> ahead of <laughs> ahead of that one. So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff going on. A lot of dinners and celebrations. Tis the season when a hotel mm-hmm. ballrooms are staying nice and busy. So that's always that's always a fun one through and through. Uh, Ramya, what's coming up on the show today?
9: Well, as you said, Brock Richardson, he's joining us for our sports update, and he's going to be telling us about his emceeing experience at OBSA on Saturday. Uh, We're also talking more AMI stuff, so the podcast Raising Kindness, which is offered as a video podcast on YouTube as well, with Becky Zara and her son Bennett. Uh, We're talking about that with her, you know, how she feels putting this show together, what value she finds in the volunteer work that she's doing around southern Saskatchewan. Looking forward to that convo. And on Know Your Rights, this conversation is going to be very interesting. Daniel McLaughlin is talking about measures to end slavery in the U.S. and Canada. They showed up in some ballads, so we're going to talk about it um, in 2022. We're still having this conversation, specifically, you know, uh, labor in prison, things like that. Mm,
0: yeah, well, Daniel's always got those interesting stories to share with you guys. The yeah. uh, the, the second story you mentioned, though, I find that one to be uh, to be so so interesting. Uh so I'm, I'm trying to I'm having I'm having a blank right in the middle of my brain. You you were just talking about Oh, Becky Zarr. Raising kindness. Be- yeah, yes. Becky Zarr just did a great podcast last week on Remembrance Day, where she and Bennett and a friend went down to the Legion. Just a really, mm-hmm. really amazing episode. It timed in so well with Remembrance Day. It Becky is just a superstar of superstars. And it's so great to see her like really spreading her wings on this podcast, doing a great job.
9: Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that episode as well, as you said, super timely. And just where, from where she started in the first episode at CNIP, which kind of is more comfort zone for us. And then, um, like you said, spreading her wings, getting all these young people involved. I'm so excited to chat with her.
0: Yeah, we miss her as a community reporter on Now with Dave Brown, but we know she's on know. to bigger and better. So it's all good. <laughs> Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great day.
9: No problem. Talk to you later.
0: That's Remy Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Jim Crisco describes a newly launched pilot program in Manitoba that is aiming to close the gap in services for adults with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Just before we bring in Jim Crisco, let's get to a couple of news stories. Of course, we started the show talking about some news abroad at the G20 conference and the ASEAN conference and the COP27 conference. But there's plenty going on around the Ottawa area as well, dealing with federal politics. Let's begin with the House of Commons Justice Committee looking to review Canada's extradition system. Laurie Paris
3: explains. Although hearing dates have yet to be set, the committee plans to hear from witnesses in at least three sessions that could begin before the end of the year. Legal and human rights experts say Canada's extradition procedures need a thorough overhaul to ensure fairness, transparency and a balance between a desire for administrative efficiency and vital constitutional protections. In a report released last year, Voices Calling for Change highlighted a number of problems with how proceedings unfold under the 1999 Extradition Act, criticizing the system as inherently unjust. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press. And one more story having to do with federal
0: politics. Voting is underway for leadership of the federal Green Party. Rob Westgate takes a closer look. Six candidates are vying for the position, including the party's former leader, Elizabeth May. The winner is expected to be announced next Saturday. The party's internal conflicts and difficulties raising money have hung heavy over the race, but the candidates are optimistic about the future. Former leader Annamie Paul resigned almost exactly a year ago after a disappointing showing in the 2021 federal election. The Greens are the country's fifth largest federal party, holding just two seats in the House of Commons. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. So we've been all over the country today. We've been to Toronto a couple of times, to Montreal a few times, a film review from Vancouver, B.C., well, let's put roots down in Edmonton, Alberta to catch up with AMI content development specialist Jim Crisco to find out what's happening in the West, and the prairies. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good morning, Dave. Uh, Dave,
4: can I point out for you before we start, uh, next week we're going into the Grey Cup and uh, one of the teams is from my region and it's almost impossible not to have a team from my region. The only team <laughs> in the West outside of it is Vancouver, but I still take great pride in that, that... The, west, the, the central region will be represented
0: at the Grey Cup. I was going to ask you Grey Cup <laughs> questions a little bit later. So, Jim, hold that <laughs> thought. Hold that thought. Let's eat our vegetables before we have our dessert, <laughs> shall we? Jim, <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump over into Manitoba, where there's a new pilot project that's being launched that's aiming to bridge some gaps in services for adults with disabilities. What, can, what do you want to tell us about the program?
4: Well, this program—it's uh, being launched. It's right now. It's a pilot program, so they're—they're they're giving it a, a, a try. It's—it's it's called the IAS, Integrated Adult Services. And what they're looking at is—is is they're going to be um, monitoring or or um, working with thirty adults living uh, in the Winnipeg Health Region, and they're going to be uh, looking at how to provide the best service, uh, health services to them holistically. Um, so that they can, uh, you know, have the easiest, uh, best experience with the system and get the best healthcare possible uh, based on their needs. So this is the pilot program that's starting to analyze and uh, and see what they come up
0: with. What pushed the government to finally move on this issue?
4: Well, it, 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 the sad part is what what pushed them to to work on it or, or move on it was a settlement um, with Tyson Sylvester and Amelia Hampton, who in 2016 filed a human rights complaint alleging that gaps in the provision of, of services and supports to adults, adult Manitobans with disabilities, particularly those with complex disability related needs, created systemic barriers to equality. Um, and, you know, when you look at it, you think, it, it took a human rights complaint to have them analyze the system to make sure that the system, or to ensure the system, was treating everyone equitably, and uh, and so I, I I think to me that's uh, you know I I I don't want to be cynical, but that's a little sad that it took a human rights complaint to actually create this. But the fact of the matter is, the good thing is it's created now, and they'll be looking at it and and hopefully make coming up with some really you know, meaningful, progressive things to do.
0: Jim, as you mentioned, it's one of these moments where cynicism will kick in, that when a government is obligated to do it via human rights complaint, it's a little bit different than say, oh, we had this great policy idea, um, which then oftentimes will lead advocates to say, well, I want to applaud, but what am I applauding for exactly? So how are disability advocates in Manitoba reacting to the news? Actually,
4: by what I understand, what I can uh, I, I can gather out of this is it is positive. It, they they are actually happy with it. Um, they they've they've been brought into the uh, like many many of these uh, advocates have been brought in for the solution to to help work on this. Um, there was a, a quote from Dave Cron who's the chair of the pilot project steering committee, and he's the executive director from the Cerebral Palsy Association of Manitoba. And he said the collaboration between the complainants, community partners, service providers, and the Man- to- Manitoba government will lead to a fulsome project over the coming years. So I think that it's been well received. It's it's you know long overdue for sure, but uh, it does look like they have everything in place to come back with some actual um you know probably very very good things that they can put in place
0: let's hop over to saskatchewan and move to the world of paris sports where logan edwards has been gaining some notoriety notoriety as a multi-sport athlete so jim why is logan gaining so much traction
4: well you know what it's it's a it's just a a a really cool story about logan he's a, a 15 year old uh, and he, very athletic and, and involved. Uh, he, he was in football, baseball, uh, basketball. Uh, and about a year ago, um, he uh, lost vision in one, one eye uh, from a, a sporting accident. And uh, he basically didn't miss a stride. Uh, as soon as, you know, they, they sort of went through the, uh, the, the, the diagnosis and that, um, you know, he went through the recovery phase he started playing his sports again. And so I thought it was a really cool story. First of all, uh, I love, uh, you know, para-athletes who are, are, so many of them are multi-sport athletes Mm -hmm. and and, uh, they just, you know, excel and it it, it takes, you know, these are are three different, very distinct sports. And he, uh, you know, he's obviously very, very, very uh, accomplished athlete. But the other thing too is, is, you know he looked at it as uh, uh, by the sounds of it he didn't it didn't miss a beat he just he just wanted to continue playing so he did
0: The para-sport movement is one that really tries to identify the passion for play and those who enjoy sports before they may acquire a disability should still be able to continue to enjoy sports. That's what the entire para-sport movement is about beyond, of course, just great competition and great activity and world-class athletes showing off their skills that the part of it is the joy of sport, the joy of competition. So absolutely fantastic to see someone after going through a traumatic injury, being able to continue that love and that passion of sport. That's what it's all about but this does not happen without support so how has his brother been a huge contributor to Logan maintaining that love of sports well his brother his
4: brother Aiden uh, it, you know is as you said uh, the, a great support to him full support to him and uh, and he was he was there beside him through the whole way he, he said his description of Logan was that, that he never lost faith in his ability to play Um or succeed in sports. So, uh, Aiden was there to, to, to beside him to say, yeah, you can do this. And, you know, if there's anything you need me to help you do as far as, you know, practicing or, uh, or, or trying to come up with any kind of adaptations, uh, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, it it sounds very much sounds like, um, his whole family was supportive of what he was doing. But of course, his parents and his grandparents were a little bit more reluctant, like, uh, you know, should, should you be playing some of these sports? Where his brother Aiden said, no, you, you, you're an athlete, go do it. And, uh, and he did. So it's beautiful to see
0: that. And Logan was recently offered up recognition of his work and commitment to sports. What was he awarded?
4: He was uh, awarded, uh, it was an award for perseverance in sports uh, by Baseball Saskatchewan last year and uh and you know they were saying that himself and his family were just thrilled with it that that they recognized this he was so happy he l- loves baseball uh clearly uh and um one thing is uh that i thought was was uh interesting is there's one sport that the um uh, that the doctors and, and family told him that he shouldn't do uh and and that was boxing they said, you know, maybe draw the line at boxing and, and uh, I, I fully respect that. Uh, I, I used to uh, to train in boxing a bit when I was younger and, and um, yeah, you definitely want to be able to see the punches coming from
0: everywhere. <laughs> Yes, people will not pull their punches on you. They'll still hit you with that jab or that hook uh, whether you can see it coming or not. There's there's no doubt about that one. Maybe maybe try grappling. Maybe go to the ju- jiu-jitsu or judo or wrestling as an alternative to uh, to the boxing if you're looking for that kind of physical competition through and through. All right, Jim, we've got about 3 minutes here and you did indeed mention that the gray cup was set. We spoke about it a little bit with Brock Richardson. Uh, uh, earlier this hour, but Jim, I know you are a CFL fanatic. That is your bread and butter (laughs) through and through. So what do you make of this matchup going into this weekend between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Toronto Argonauts?
4: Well, I I have to tell you that Toronto is a huge underdog in this. The the, Winnipeg is a powerhouse team right now, uh, and they're playing at the top of their game. Their ground game is... Unbelievable! If you can't stop their ground game, you don't have a chance. And and we saw that yesterday with uh, Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They just ate them up on the ground. Uh, so, you know, it, it, they, they are a juggernaut. Now, having said that, uh, if uh, th- there was an interesting statistic yesterday in the game that I think the Toronto Argonauts have not lost on a visit to the Great Cup in like eight or more visits. Oh, like, wow. The, they have an incredible record of great cup wins if they make it to the great cup. So, you know, this might be one of those really interesting match matchups. And when it comes down to it, we're playing, um, we're playing football on the prairies on what will potentially be a really cold day. So that, that hits both teams equally. Although Winnipeg probably is practiced in that environment a little bit more, but uh, anything can happen. I, I, I don't, I don't take, uh, Toronto out of it. I would, I would say that they're, they are huge underdogs, but it's the great cup. And we've seen the great cup end in, in weird ways oh, yeah. before, on, oh, on, yeah. you know, missed field goals or too many men on the field. And, and uh, so who knows? I, 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 if, if I was, you know, a betting man, if, if you will, I would, I would say Winnipeg probably, but uh, I'm really curious to see it. Cause I think Toronto's, you know, they deserve to be there
0: and who knows? Jim, you mentioned the winter conditions. It's one of the things that makes the CFL and the Grey Cup so interesting at playoff time. In the NFL, You do occasionally get some weird weather in the playoffs in places like Buffalo or Green Bay with outdoor stadiums. But it's rare, rare, rare that you get weird conditions during a Super Bowl. Maybe a little rain in Miami. There was some slush and sleet in New York a couple of years ago, but typically it's played in a dome inside pristine conditions. The CFL is the opposite. The CFL, you've been playing in heat and humidity all summer. And the next thing you know, you're playing in a minus 20 game in Regina on a Sunday in November
4: absolutely and you know the 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 thing is too with a lot of the players they're not from that climate they may be from you know southern u.s uh and and it's it's not a climate that they're used to playing in they have played in it if they play in the cfl at all uh for any length of time but yeah it's going to be a it, it'll be a factor for sure
0: well jim enjoy it i think about folks like you on a great cup sunday guys who've been following the sport all year long with the close lens so enjoy it and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks Thanks, Dave. That's Jim Crisco, an AMI content development specialist, joining us in Edmonton, Alberta. We'll be back again tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.